Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit. So welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of Team Up. In this episode, we want to explore a few of the different models of distributed primary care teams. This way, you can get an idea of the options and see where your current team fits. Or where the teams you support fit, if you're a coach or part of the network support teams. That's right. So by seeing where your team fits or the teams you coach fit, you can see where some of the structural challenges might be for working together and how to adapt to be more of a team. When people talk about implementing teams, sometimes they talk about it in a generic way, but each team is different. We really need to think about how teams are structured before we can get to implementation. Some groups like the College of Family Physicians and the American Academy of Family Physicians barely even speak about distributed teams. I had to look around for a bit. Ireland and their national service talks about the value of co-location when they say that ideally all team members of a primary care team should be based in a primary care team building but they don't even talk about what some of the options are for distributed teams. So we're going to dive into that a little bit now. Right, because if you're not in the same building and you still want to be a team, you still have to work together on how you're going to be working together. Exactly. And the ways of working together are a bit different depending on how you're distributed and how you're structured as a distributed team. So you're the provider here, Morgan. What kinds of distributed primary care teams are there? Sarah, there's probably five and maybe five that we're going to use through the season. There's probably more, but we'll stick to these ones. So first, I think of part-time teams. That's a, a little bit different. People don't always jump into that, but a part-time team. Then teams that outreach, mm. teams that have a certain component of virtual care. That's been huge lately and through the pandemic. So that's third. Number four is teams with multiple offices. And then lastly, the one we're probably going to spend a bit more time on is that primary care network, hub and spoke, or network as a referral service. Okay, Morgan, let's go through these five and learn a little bit more about what we're talking about, how we're going to frame this season. So the first one you mentioned, I think, was part-time teams. What what does that mean? So those are teams that are distributed probably more in time than space, if you will. Hmm. Like a shared practice is probably the most common example of this, where two primary care providers, two family doctors, each work like three days a week and they share the same space and then potentially and probably share most of the same panel of patients. But it could also be a community health center or urgent and primary care center where you've got part-time physicians and part-time NPs working different days of the week. So that kind of team with part-time primary care providers is really what I'm thinking about here. So you sort of have a shifting team then, the same kind of bigger group of people, but working together in different kind of right. conglomerations over the course of a yeah. week. So what's what's sort of the, the benefits of this kind of part-time team model? So I think for the providers, there's that real flexibility. So you're not just having to work five days a week, or you have to figure out how to cover costs and when you, days you're not working, you can really share all those things. So that flexibility gives you a bit of a better life balance, if you will. The other advantage for patients, though, is that If two people are working three days a week, you can have extended hours because each of you are going to work a different set of hours. And maybe there's an evening where each of you take a different evening of the week, or maybe there's a a Saturday you cover. You get a little bit of extended hours across two or even three people in a team. 
And when I think about team building, we always say if you change one person in a team, you change the team. So if you have this yeah. kind of sort of shifting team, I can see that that could also have some challenges. So what do you think you need to do to make this part-time team model successful? I think there's a couple things. So first off, structure the team, especially if there's multiple types of providers that are working in the same location, but the primary care providers are only working part-time. Structure your team around the primary care providers. And ideally, if other people are also working part-time, so let's say nurses are sharing an FTE or something like that, ideally you're changing together. So if I only work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that the nurse, the nurses aren't sort of, exactly, they're not like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they're working the same days that I'm working the next physician or the nurse practitioner similarly. So you're clustering better, Mm -hmm. then you get to know how you work together. The other little thing I'd add in there is if more of the team is working full-time, then try to have some standards across providers. So the physicians can't be totally bespoke and do everything differently so that on Thursday, everything in the world changes compared to what it was like on Wednesday. Kind of that team agreement piece of how you're going to work together generally across the, the larger group. Yeah, exactly. That's super important. So that's kind of the the shared the shared practices are probably pretty common. So that part time team, we are seeing it more in urgent primary care centers and some community community health centers as well. So the the second example you provided the team with multiple offices. This this was interesting to me, and I think maybe a little bit less common. Yeah. What does that look like? I think it is of a truly a team with multiple offices is probably less common. So what I don't mean is multiple independent offices all owned by the same organization. Those are just separate teams. But if there's truly a group that is working in more than one location to take care of the same patients, that I think is what I'm talking about here. So it could be there's a satellite clinic. So in a rural group, there could be a satellite clinic in a different town down the road. Or conversely, in the inner city, there could be a satellite clinic at a supportive housing unit. Some people are going there to provide some of the services, but then patients might migrate between the main center and that satellite clinic. It is not as common, but I think it's one to consider. And generally, I also think that this is a group that also has truly been working together. It's more likely one organization and they have a shared EMR for sure. And this, I guess, is also something if maybe if you had group visits that always happened in a sort of satellite location, you knew you went, right. you know, down the street to XYZ to get your CBT session yeah. with a group. or Yeah, so that c- it could be that that geography split is because of the size of the clinic and not just that you're going to a mm-hmm. particular town, but you can't have certain things like a group visit because you don't have that room. So what are some of the benefits of that model with multiple offices in a team? Well, if you're, if you're thinking sort of geography across an area, then it's really accessed for patients so that if they can't travel or it's a hardship to travel that period of time then certainly that's the big benefit. Capacity, if you really only have a small space, capacity is another thing. Like you can get the team to get, you can get more of your team into that. Filling up that space. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think you need to do to, to make that kind of model work well? I can think of, you know, it seems a little bit more challenging when you're, when you're really in multiple locations and also mm-hmm. working as a team. Yeah. So I, I think it comes down to, this is going to be a common theme too, right? Like, um, thinking about teamlets. Mm-hmm. So how do you structure a group that maybe does more of those satellite clinic visits? And it's the same people so that they know how they tend to work together in that context. Getting to teach the patients 
to know what services are available where and when they might want to go from one location or to the to another. Why would you meet at the satellite clinic? Is it just because there's just because it's a Monday? Mm-hmm. Or is there something different that you can't get at the satellite clinic, but you can get at the main clinic? That's important. The the other thing is if you're working in a true team that's really embedded, then you have to figure out how to have those clear connections right. between the team members. And the farther apart um, you are, the sort of as a whole kind of other dynamic of challenge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The harder it is. And if you have multiple, multiple locations, so there's like outreach to more than, you know, two places two more than two satellite clinics, then think about even trying to cluster even tighter to those. And if there are things that are centralized, I think of MOAs, medical offices and support that generally will be at the home base. It's going to be different if you're, you're working from a, from a satellite clinic and you're hoping that somebody at the, at the main clinic is going to do all the referrals and such. So those things need to be worked out too. Right. And when we think about teams with multiple offices, we're, we're you know, making this distinct from teams with outreach. Yeah, yeah. So what is that? What's that difference? And what's a team with outreach in your, in your mind? Right. So that, that's a, that's outreach will be something where you have a significant part of your time that goes into community to see patients where they're at, where they're living. And there's obviously a little bit of a gray zone that if you're doing Mm -hmm. outreach to a shelter, maybe you've got a space there that is more like a satellite clinic like I do. But this is more, I'm going to patients' homes, seeing what they're like, where they're living. Uh, Maybe it's truly like mobile van outreach or it's on foot, that much more mobile outreach. So what are some of the real advantages to an outreach sort of team model? It's equity, it's equitable access. It's getting the care to where people can't get to. So if people who are frail and at home, we're going to be able to see them there. We're going to see actually have better quality care in some ways as well, because you see what home is like, but also people can't get in. You're going to be able to get to them. And with that, you have some dedicated resources too for those higher needs patients. I think that's, those are the big benefits to it, to having outreach. And I guess when you think about what you need to do to make that outreach model really successful, a lot of the things that we've already talked about in the earlier models, right, working in teamlets, really yeah. trying to have the, those cohesive groups are probably key factors to, to success. But what else do you think needs to happen to make yeah. that model work? So if it's truly like mobile into people's houses, then I think key to get the electronic record working when you need it in, in those places, as opposed to going around with a, you know, a notepad and taking notes and stuff. But the other part is making sure that there's good touch points with the in-clinic staff. If it's not a primary care provider that's going out on their own to do outreach, like a home visit, but it's now the, the rest of the team that is going out, there needs to be that coordination with the primary care provider and, and then also touching base with the in-clinic staff. So some good clear points when, when outreach people come back. Right. So I know one of the, the models that you mentioned that is now you know, way more common in this kind of post-pandemic world than it was before, is this team with with virtual appointments. And I know from from your work in the community health center that you work with, you've also been doing these virtual appointments in mm. that sort of outreach model as well. But when you think about a team with virtual ap- appointments, what how do you define that? What kind of specific needs are there? So Sarah, I think people go, well, this isn't this isn't distributed team. This is just virtual care, telehealth, no problem. So yeah, that's part of it. But what happens is some of us work from home, right? Why would I go into the office and commute down if all I'm going to be doing is sitting on a camera 
And I can do that with my favorite coffee at home and have lunch with my family. So I think what's happening is we're seeing that providers are working from home instead of working out of the office. And that's why I think this is another distributed model to think about. And I think that if you don't think about that, it's so easy to kind of almost forget that those virtual providers are there, right? Yeah. If they're not in the office, yeah. part of all the team things that are easier in person. And sometimes it's a hybrid mix, right? right. So, okay, well, Tuesdays, I'm going to make my virtual day and I, I work from home and that's great. And then you have the other Mondays and, and other days to connect in. But some people don't. Some people, it's much more like me and part-time and it's all outreach or, or telehealth. You're right. It's easier to be out of sight, out of mind in that case. So I think, you know, I think from a benefit perspective, better access for those who are comfortable with telehealth. And it can give a little bit more capacity to the group. Some people who aren't able to work certain days are able to do a little bit of telehealth, but also some of the follow-up can be a bit quicker. Um, tends to be perhaps a little bit shorter to do a phone call or a video call. So I think those are advantages to this model for patients. Mm -hmm. So what do you think you need to do if you're going to be a team, you know, working with virtual appointments in this way? You've already talked about like staying connected. Right. right? It's, it's so easy to chat with people in the hallways. And then if there's only one or two people who are at a distance, you kind of lose track of them. When everybody's virtual, it's, it's more balanced. So I think thinking, and this will be a theme, thinking distributed first. <laughs> but the other thing to think about is how to do the warm handoffs if you're in this sort of hybrid model. It's the same for the other options, but what, what if you're having a virtual visit, how do you pull in a nurse into that conversation or vice versa? If a nurse is having a visit in clinic, how do they connect in? Because they can't just open the door and see across the hallway if, if their colleague's door is open. What does that process need to be? And I think that that's a thing to look at and work on. And we'll talk about that too. I also guess kind of when you, when you end a virtual appointment, right, what's the process in the clinic for that? If, if you're if you're both virtual, then that's one thing. But if a patient is in a clinic seeing a virtual provider, then that's a, a little bit of a yeah. different, like, what, what does that look like? Yeah. How do you say goodbye and have them leave the room? And who knows when they've left a room? And right. what if they just stayed in the room for an hour? So there's a little bit of process there. And also some of the normal follow-up, right? If you're used to just taking a printout of a lab rec and putting it in, in a paper inbox, now what if you're totally yeah. virtual? Most of us have worked that stuff out though in the last two and a half years. Right, it's been it's been a, it's been a great great time to practice. Exactly, I think we've made leap, come forward in leaps and bounds in our our provision of virtual care. That's for sure. Yeah. So I know that the the sort of final one that we wanted to talk about and probably the most common is this network referral service model. What we're what we're really seeing in a lot of this hub and spoke model with the PCN services. What do you think is really good about this kind of model? I think what's good is that you can centrally manage some new services that maybe you couldn't get or you wouldn't get in your own smaller office, in like in an individual clinic. You probably don't need a full-time pharmacist if you're a solo practitioner, solo nurse practitioner or family doctor, but you know, it'd be nice to have access to that. <laughs> and it's hard to hire a half day a week of a pharmacist or a, you know, a one day a week of a social worker. So I think the, the hub and spoke can, can provide that extra capacity. And also then for somebody who's being hired, you're not just looking for, now I've got to manage eight different little contracts with eight different clinics. It's sort of a bit more centralized. So it's perhaps a little bit more appealing for the social workers, the pharmacists, the nurses. Well, and, and I think there's also 
a real risk in this model that, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't uh, having the opportunity to, to do that team building, to, to learn how to work together, to spend time thinking about how they want to work together. So what do you think people need to do to kind of set these up for success? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think you've, you've nailed the, the concern is that people don't think about being part of a primary care team. They think about being a team of clinicians that are in a primary care network. And so with amongst that team, there's been some teamwork happening. But because it's a hub and spoke, and there's many spokes, it's hard to be a team with many different individual clinics and individual providers in those clinics. So I think the big thing here, and again, this is going to be probably what we spend a lot of time on, is think about how the hub can be structured so that people start to develop relationships and share panels with primary care providers, often family doctors and some nurse practitioners. The other part to that, though, is, Sarah, it's not just the referral service, and we'll get back to you within two to five days, but we need to consider how to be available quickly. How do you structure your time so that you can really share care and work together to share care with with an individual patient and that primary care doctor so you do become a team? And how do you do that in a hub that's supporting 10 or 15 clinics or more? It's tricky, right? And so I think those are some of the challenges that we need to think about. Right. I can only imagine how hard scheduling would get at that point when you're trying to think about right. what are the possible permutations right. of these kind of, you know, team members that might come in around this particular patient. And, and that's sort yeah. of the ideal. But then how do we make that work? While still having capacity to respond and book so you're not just sitting around. Right. It is a tricky balance. So... <laughs> We've just covered a lot. <laughs> um, I, I rambled a little bit. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what can you do if you're in a distributed team today? Yeah, so that's that's the question. I mean, our plan is to go into more detail this season, but some few general ideas we want to give you before the end of this episode. If you're a family doctor or a nurse practitioner in your own clinic, first, make sure you have some clear touchdown points for remote team members to connect in with. And that can be time, and spaces, mm-hmm. right? So it's okay to call, you know, I'm always going to make sure I'm available right before lunchtime. So call me then or right before the afternoon. And then if they can come in, know that there's a space for them, even if it's just to sort of perch in the lunchroom, there's a spot that they know where they can go and, and wait for you. I think those are important. I also think, you know, you can think about um, telehealth and exam rooms to connect distributed team members as well. Yeah. So So know that you can then do that quick connection, like the warm handover in the hallway. It's like, I want you to meet Sandra. Now you can do the same thing, but now through a camera, if it's possible. And then, if, but, but have a process for that. And I know we're going we're gonna to talk more about things like case conferencing and, and you know, specific yeah. approaches to really facilitating this as the season progresses. Yeah. If you're a distributed team member, I think that you can get into the clinic and, and in people's faces. Make sure people remember that, that you're there. Uh, snacks and coffee always go a long way. But really just, you know, yeah. making yourself available, I think, becomes even more important when you're working in this way. Yeah, getting in, into people's faces if you can is great. Co-plan for some complex patients. Be a little bit proactive and say, okay, you know, I saw this person. Let's talk about how I can help more. Suddenly that connects you in and you can start to talk about how you're going to share that care. And I also think making the time, you know, making sure that you're present for for team meetings and, and huddles vir- virtually. Yeah. And, and that's hard if you're trying to cover 15 clinics all at the same time just by being a service. And that's where that clustering becomes really important. And also I think that 
that virtual first idea too. So, you know, if your team is, does have these virtual providers and they are doing, you know, huddles, maybe think about doing those huddles virtually so that everyone can, can access them easily. Exactly. Yeah. So then clustering your clinics so that you can actually get to those team meetings and know the practice styles. And I guess for all teams, you you need to make space to be a team and have some opportunities for fun together too, right? Yeah. Playing together is so important. If you are a distributed team and you want to work together better, first, keep listening to the season. We're going to try to give you some very practical tips and tricks on how to work better as a team. And for this episode's call to action, if you're in a distributed clinic structure, make some time to connect with one or more members of the team that you don't know very well. Find out a little bit more about them. A quick virtual coffee chat on the phone. Sometimes it's not about working directly, just creating these little spaces to connect. It might feel odd, you know, to reach out and just say, no, I don't want to talk about a patient, but it's really helpful in the long run. So that wraps it for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to start diving into specific things that you can do and how they're more applicable to the different types of distributed teams we talked about today. So you can use this episode as kind of like your crib cheat sheet as we go on through the season and talk about the different kind of team models. And, you know, if there's anything that you want us to dig into, please do let us know. We're always uh, listening to feedback, isu at familymed.ubc.ca. And our address is also in the show notes. Thanks for listening. 